Thanks for joining us for Open Bible Online today. Open Bible Baptist Church has been in South Jersey for over 60 years. We love this community and we want to be a help to you. In order to help us help you in the best way possible, would you do us a favor? Please fill out the digital connection card posted in this link. Here you could post prayer requests and also ask any questions you may have about Open Bible. If you'd like to give today, you could give online in less than two minutes. Visit openbiblenj.org for more information. Thanks again for joining us today. Now enjoy the service. All right, take your Bible if you would and turn to the book of Exodus. Trying to keep it simple in the Old Testament. Two books from the beginning, so you can find it in Exodus 20. Well, what an outstanding service this morning we had. I appreciate just the whole day. It's been a good day. Has it been a good day for you? Great. Sounds like it. <laughs> I hope it has been. And uh, a few hours remain of it. But uh, praise is a blessing to you this evening. Exodus 20. How many are familiar with this chapter and uh, familiar with what comes in this chapter? Anybody? Okay. Commandments, right? The commandments. We won't look at all ten just to help you out with that. That way you know we're not going to look at all of them, but they are all there. And uh, they are for our taking. They aren't just um, for the Old Testament uh, days. They are still provided to us, Old Testament and New Testament. You know, the Old Testament reflects what's coming in the New Testament. The New Testament kind of reflects back to what the Old Testament told us. And uh, so I want to talk to you tonight about something that uh, the Lord has laid upon my heart. And it's this title, When God is Small. When God is Small. I hope automatically you think, well, my God's not small. There's no way that I have a God that's small. Great. You're right. We cannot make God small Himself, but we can make God small in ourselves. Sure can. So we cannot make God small Himself. It's up there on the screen for you. But we can make Him small in ourselves. And I hope you'll think about that. One of my favorite songs uh, that we sing often, and uh, every so often we sing it, How Great Is Our God. How Great Is Our God. Sing with me. You ready? No, I'm just joking. <laughs> but um, it's a great song, but it talks about His greatness. As a child, I remember singing, My God is so big, so strong, and so mighty, there's nothing my God cannot do for you. And often I find myself praising the Lord as I walk around the property and different times throughout the uh, week, and I find myself kind of humming and singing to myself. Aren't you thankful for that? <laughs> but what a mighty God we serve. Angels bow before Him. Heaven and earth adore Him. What a mighty God we serve. And I just thank God that I'm able to serve Him. And He's a mighty God. God has often challenged me with this thought, and I've thought about it, and I hope you'll think about it tonight with me. How big are you making your God out to be in your life? You know, that's a great question to ask, how, how can I make God look bigger in my life? What can I do? You know, when we care about God, we care about what God cares about. And so, as you've turned to Exodus 20, we see the Ten Commandments, and we find that verse 1, it, it goes into immediately, it says, And God spake all these words saying, I am the Lord thy God, which brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Now tonight I'm going to preface this immediately. I hope tonight you won't look at this Ten Commandments like you normally do. It's not just a list of the do's and don'ts. 
and thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt not. I hope that tonight it will reveal to you something about God and something about His character and something about His holiness and something about Christ in every one of these commandments. We won't look at all of them, but the first four are very much Godward and the last six are very much manward. And I'll say this, if you're right with God, you'll be right with others. And so, this is not all the law, but it sure involves the law. And so, this is an expression of the mind of God, and it's relative to what man ought to be. The purpose of the law was to reveal the fact that man is a sinner in need of a Savior. And so, a good part of God's will is revealed through the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments... Tell us what matters to God. And the simple fact of the matter is this, that if we disown the law, you disrespect the lawgiver. Did you catch that? If we disown what He's given to us, it's in essence disrespecting who gave it to us. And so it's very important. But I will say the Ten Commandments, one person said it this way, they're not prison bars. They are rules, but they're more like traffic laws. And nobody that's been saved by guardrails gets upset at the guardrails that saved them. And as you travel, you'll see guardrails on mountains and different places that, that are high ravines and different places that will protect you and preserve you and keep you. And so, get this please, the Ten Commandments, they're not necessarily just instructions for the Israelites on how to get out of Egypt. No, 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 that's not it. This is what it is. They are rules for a free people to stay free. That's what God had in mind. And the law was given to bring men to their need for Christ and to show, man, I need God. And so this is what we can see in these. We can see that Christ is in the law. It reminds you what the psalmist said in Psalms 19.7. It says, the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. I want that, don't you? The law of the Lord is perfect. It converts the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure. It makes wise the simple. And so tonight we see in Exodus 20, verse 3, we pick up with the first one. It says, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. I'll remind you that how we relate to God, we will relate to others. And it starts off right here with this. Really, thou shalt have no other gods before me is, is in essence talking to us about our love for God and our love for Him. You know, when you say no other gods before me, that means there is a God available. He's only one and true and only one God. And so I'll say this, number one tonight, what God says He is, He is. What God says He is, He is. And uh, you're not going to change that. I'm not going to change that. And we don't have a desire to do so. And the Bible makes it very clear that He says He's the Lord and there's none else. There's no God beside me. Isaiah 45. And then a few verses later from Isaiah 45 and verse 22, it says, Look unto me and be ye saved. Aren't you thankful for that? All the ends of the earth. I'm thankful for that. That includes me and you. And then it goes on to say, For I am God and there is none else. Isaiah 9, 6 says this, For unto us 
a child is born. Unto us a son is given. The government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And I understand we, we often hear this around Christmas time and these type of things, but you know what? This is good all year round. 365 days a year. And so let me just dig a little deeper into this. Isaiah 9, 6 is really telling us the aspects of God. His personality, His description, some of the description, it's not all, because He is incredible. We can't describe our, our God to the degree that He is. He's magnificent. He is wonderful. Wonderful. Think about it. Is He wonderful to you? Jesus laid aside all His glory to come to earth. Think of that. And He humbly did it in a manger. He didn't have to do that. He lived a sinless life. I'm so thankful we serve a perfect Savior. Someone who never sinned. And He came to die upon Calvary for my sin, your sin, our sin, for the sins of the whole world. But all the while, somehow, He still was filled with beauty and perfection in living on this earth. Isn't that amazing? You ever think of that, how incredible that is? Yes, He lived on this earth perfect. And Colossians, it says, For in Him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. You know why? He's wonderful. He is wonderful. Have you told Him that? He's wonderful? He wouldn't mind to hear it from you if you told Him that. I'm glad when God says He's a counselor. I know none of us need counsel, but I need counsel. And it's, and it's because I realize my condition. And I, ha I have a situation. But I would say that we all are in that same situation. See, here's my situation. I'm nothing without God. Do you find yourself in that situation? And so, a counselor, we need advice and counsel as we go through life. You know, we're not meant to be alone on this earth. Aren't you thankful for that? And, and it goes a long ways when we have support. We have encouragement. We have help. Even sometimes we get challenged from someone who cares about us and someone who has our good in, in, their, in their mind for us and for our being and for our future. Someone who really cares about us. Man, it makes all the difference in the world. You know who that is? Well, the Bible says in 1 Peter 5, 7, cast all your care upon Him, for He careth for you. And He's a counselor. So much so that if you desire and if you want to, the Bible says in James 1, 5, that you can gain wisdom from Him. And wisdom that is needed is available through Jesus Christ. James 1, 5, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, that give it to all men liberally, and abradeth not, and it shall be given him. I wonder, have you taken God up on the offer of wisdom? You need wisdom tomorrow as you go into the workforce. You need wisdom as you go throughout your week. You need wisdom when you come into a situation that's a struggle and circumstance of your life. I wonder, have we asked others more than we've asked God? Have we talked to others more than we've talked to God? Because He's the one who has wisdom. Not all people have wisdom, but God does. I'm glad when he says he's mighty. Mighty God, he's not weak. He's not a weakling or a wimp. He's mighty. He's strong. He's powerful. And the power that he possesses, that means he's not just a good man. 
No, 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 no. He's the greatest to ever walk the face of this earth. That's powerful. And the best teacher ever. And he's completely God with all power and authority. As a matter of fact, he gives us his word and it's powerful. His word alone is powerful. It's so powerful that we would do well to, to gain some of that power, the Holy Spirit power, and to be in it. Colossians 1.16, it says, For by Him are all things created that are in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones, dominions, principalities, or powers. All things were created by Him and for Him. That's a mighty God. can do that. Same mighty God is found in 1 John 4.4, 4, says, Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is He that is in you than he that is in the world. That's a mighty God that can talk like that. I could say that, and I'm glad He is mighty. And I'm so glad He's the everlasting Father. Boy, He's wonderful. He's a counselor. I need to take Him up on that. He's a mighty God. I'm, I'm glad He's mighty. But He is also the everlasting Father. See, He's not just a created being. He's not some figment of our imagination. And, and just to come up with, I, I wonder what Jesus is like, and, and, and maybe this is the way He is. No, no, no. He's more to that than that ever, more than we can ever think of, and more than we can ever come up and conjure in our own mind. He's eternal and yet equal with God the Father. He's always been and will always be. How do you explain that one? He's always been and will always be. He's everlasting. He's the everlasting Father. He says that He's the Lord. He changes not in Malachi 3.6. And a great verse in Psalm 90, verse 2, Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever thou hast formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, catch this, thou art God. Man, I'm glad I have an everlasting God for me, for my kids, for my kids' kids. Everlasting. On and on and on. And I'm glad when he says he's the Prince of Peace. The Prince of Peace. I'm so glad that Jesus' peace is not determined or dependent on my circumstance. But he's the Prince of Peace no matter what. And I'm so glad that he offers the peace that passes understanding. And I'm so glad that God's peace he gives because of his love and his presence. But I'll tell you this, the only way you're going to experience Him wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, is based on how well you're getting to know that God. I, mean, I don't know that He's wonderful. I don't know that He's a Counselor. It's because you're not experiencing the true God, the one and only, because what God says, He is. He is. And you have to get to know Him to find out that to be true. And those who have gotten to know Him, those who are getting to know Him, they can say, yes, He's wonderful. Yes, He's a counselor. Yes, He's mighty God. Yes, He is the Prince of Peace and He's the everlasting Father. And I'm so glad He's my Father, my Heavenly Father. And it matters because of how well you're getting to know Him. And personally, aren't you thankful that we can have a walk with God? Because look at verse 2, would you please? I am the Lord, thy God. Well, I'm so glad He's my God and thy God. And you'll see that repeated at least five times in verse 2. And then verse 5, do you see it again? He says, I am I, the Lord, thy God, am a jealous God. Verse 7, 
Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. It's because He's thy God. That's personal. Verse 10. See it again. Seventh day is the Sabbath on the Lord thy God. It matters. Verse 12. Honor thy father and thy mother that thy days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. You know, all you and I have is because of God. And it's because of Him. No wonder He's going to tell Israel, and He also tells you and I today, no other gods before me. Because what He says He is, He is. And here's the thing, today, in, in, in that day, it was popular to worship many gods. You know what's popular today? To not worship any gods. Not even one true God. And where that pendulum is swung, most of the problem is this. Don't you know it? The fear of man rather than the fear of God. That's the problem. And that's why we don't worship the one and true and only God. So I challenge you and encourage you tonight with this thought when you think of the first commandment. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. God desires sweet relationship with you. He wants you to become near to Him. He wants you to get in close. He wants you to have a walk privately with Him, a devotional life that matters, that counts for God, that God sees and God knows in your own prayer closet, the sweet communion that can come with Christ. And then you know what you find? He's wonderful. He's Counselor. He's Mighty God. He's Everlasting Father. He's Prince of Peace. He says before me, no other gods before me, this implies nothing else in my sights. Obviously, many of you know, and uh, hate to remind you of it, but I'm okay with it. Grew up in Tennessee. And I know I'm an outsider. And sometimes that's been felt. <laughs> but here's the thing. All that doesn't matter. What matters is this, that we're to have God in our sights. And so in Tennessee, obviously there's hunting and all those kind of things. But here's the thing that, that takes place when you hunt. And you're hunting for a deer. If you get something in your sights, you see a raccoon. Nope, I don't want that. You see a squirrel. Nope, I don't want that. You see a rabbit. Definitely not that. You see, you see something that comes into your sights, and it could be a deer, but you say, no, it's not big enough. I want the big one that has a rack. Right? And then now, that's before me. And so now I'm going to take the shot because it's in my sights. It's before me in the sights. So nothing else came close to the need for anything else but what was big and what, what, came, what came right in front of you. Because nothing else matters if you're there for just that. And you'll wait, and you'll get cold, and you'll shiver, and you'll be out there for hours and hours and hours hunting, just that animal and no other animal, the rustling and, and the attention that gets you distracted. But it doesn't matter. You'll wait as long as it takes to get what you're there for. I wonder tonight, are we willing to put God just in our sights? And nothing distracts us. No other gods before me. See, what we need is God in our sights. And we're so blessed and God has given us so much. You know, as a believer of God, it's easy to think, well, I don't have any gods before Him. No other gods before Him. Matthew Henry put it this way. He says, to have other gods 
is defined as to love, to desire, to delight in, or to expect any good from any sinful indulgence is prohibited. Equally, we are not to allow any person or created thing, however valuable or excellent, to rival God in our affections. All atheism, infidelity, and irreligion is opposition to God and an attempt to be independent of Him. Listen, the proud man is his own idol because he worships himself and expects others to do the same and to think of himself as the answer. To have other gods. Have other gods. He goes on to say, the covetous man makes a god of his wealth, which he loves, depends upon, and expects happiness from it. The idol of self for all of us is often, if not usually, our supreme god, and self-love many times becomes the great enemy in true rivalry to the Lord's rightful place in our lives. I ask you tonight, what do you and I have in our view? Is it only God? Is there anything else more than God? See, whatever steals the place of God in our lives is another God. Alternatives to God come in all shapes, sizes, times, events, problems, plans, admiration, affections, and people. You know, this, it doesn't take much to get distracted from God. I don't know about you, but when I'm trying to have time with God, it's amazing what kind of distractions come up. But God isn't getting better than what He is. Yet he can become better in our lives if we allow him to, if we just let him. And when God becomes better to us, then guess what? God is not small. God is not small. And what God says he is, he is and wants to be in our lives. Would you notice, secondly tonight, what God says he does, he does. Verse 4 says, Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image, or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them, nor serve them. For I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children, unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me. Some strong words. But what God says He does, He, he does. And He holds true to it. See, God's work of wrath and judgment is on display in verse 4 and verse 5, so much so that He says, it's as if these people, they hate me when they choose everything else but me. That's pretty strong, isn't it? You think about that. See, what you and I do, this is saying to the third and fourth generation, what you and I do in moderation will be carried out in excess to the next generation's. And this is not a good thing that's carried out to them. Oh, I, I guess we just need to really be very careful what precedents we are setting forth for future generations. Yeah, so much so that we need to be careful how we describe our God. We need to be careful how we portray our God on display. We need to be so careful of, of what we do. The reflection of, of God is good and holy, and we need to tell it as such. I love the song, our God is an awesome God. He reigns from heaven above, you know, because God is awesome. But verse 5, it depicts more of who God really is. He's a jealous God. He says, I'm a jealous God. In other words, the possession of the object, us, is desired by the subject, God. 
God desires us so much that he's, he's, he's a jealous God. And He has a right to do that. In verse 4, He says, Don't make any graven image or any likeness of anything that is heaven above. It is in the earth beneath, or it is in the water in the earth. Don't bow down thyself to them, nor serve them. For I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God. I remember as a kid in Sunday school seeing the flannel graph. And there came Jesus out, you know, walking on the water and feeding the 5,000. So as a kid, I, I thought that that's what Jesus looked like, the flannel graph. And then I remember seeing the famous picture of him sitting at the Lord's or Last Supper and, and the Last Supper and seeing him around that table. And, oh, that must be what Jesus looks like. And then we have TV shows and movies and all that comes about. Oh, that must be what Jesus looks like. Can I tell you right now, there's no man that can depict our Heavenly Father, the Lord Jesus Christ, to the degree and to the, to the way that He looks and to how He is and how holy and how good He is. We cannot do it. And there's very many talented people, but no picture, no sculpture, no form or piece stared at in worship can help us focus our hearts on God. It can't be. Because He's omniscient. How do you, how do you show that one? He's, om, he's, om, he's omnipotent. How do you show that? He's omnipresent. He's holy. He's immutable. He's eternal. See, God is not reduced to just a man. He's better than that. He's greater than that. And the best of man's depiction of God doesn't even come close to who God really is. God is greater than we can ever imagine or come up with in our mind. This is why faith steps in. And faith. Man, I, I hope tonight you'll, you'll determine your own heart. Let's not make God smaller than what He is. Let's be also careful to not put in front of anyone, graven image, likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in earth beneath, because God is so much greater than that. You know, oftentimes we'll say this, we'll say we desire that He be high and lifted up. But would you take and look at these verses that come with that? Isaiah 57, 15 says this, For thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and holy place, notice, with him also that is of a contrite and humble spirit, to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. Jesus, I want you to be high and lifted up. Well, you know what it takes? It, it takes contrite and humble spirit. That's our part. The humbleness. The submission, the lowering of ourselves to God, the contrite, a brokenness, a repentance, an I'm nothing type spirit, attitude. Without me, you can do nothing, John says, and what God says He does, He does. What God wants us to go by is what He says. If you were to take the Ten Commandments that we look at right now in the Scripture in Exodus 20, and you were to relate them to our world today, what's called moral relativism, then the Ten Commandments change to this, that there's no need or point to observing the Lord's day. It's okay to steal, just as long as you steal from those who really won't miss it. This is our world today. It's alright to lie when it suits you, so long as it doesn't cause any real damage. And then get this one, you can cheat on others. After all, they're bound to cheat on you at some point in their life, so you might as well cheat on them first. Wow. 
See, the problem with these is it flies right in the face of God and what He wants. You know what that does? It makes God very small. It makes God, God very, very small. Let's determine our hearts of verse 6 to be these kind of people. Would you notice in Exodus 20, verse 6, "...and showing mercy unto thousands of them that love Me and keep My commandments." To be in the thousands. The multitude that love Him and keep His commandments. His last tonight, what God wants, He requests. What God wants, He requests. He, he does put it out there. And so Exodus 20, verse 7, the, the third one we'll see, Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. This is still very much a relationship to our Lord, to how we treat Jesus, what we do with His name. We throw around His name as if it's just another name. It's not another name. What a name the name of Jesus is. You know, the closer a relationship you have with someone, the more offense is taken when you talk and, or hear talk bad about them. I don't know if you remember this, and I don't know if this is still a thing or not, but when I was growing up, there was the your mama jokes. I don't know if that's still a thing or not. Maybe it still is. I'm not an advocate of it, because obviously someone's mom is someone's spouse, and someone's mom, and someone's daughter, and someone's sister, and these kind of things. In my school growing up, we had a guy that came from Nashville, in the rough part of Nashville, Nashville, Tennessee, and Christ had turned his life around, and I'm thankful he did. It's pretty obvious when he came that he was a muscular guy. He, he um, had come from the gangs of Nashville. The first time we were playing basketball, and basketball hit the top of the ceiling of the gym, and he thought it was a gunshot, so he hit the ground fast. And we didn't know what he was doing. We had no idea what was happening, what had, what had taken place with him. We thought something was wrong with him. But you know, he was constantly on guard of his surroundings. But you know, something I remember, there was never a time that anyone said, your mama, to him. Nobody said anything to him about that. And somehow... Everyone was just smart enough to not say your mama to any jokes mentioned at all, and I, I believe in maybe fear of retaliation, what could come. Or anything that was offensive to him, really. I, I don't remember one time that anything was said offensive to him at all. Maybe it did happen without, without my knowing, but I doubt it. Because of his stature, because of who he was. I wonder, who is God to us? How well do we think of Him? How truly mighty is He? How truly powerful is He? Do we just throw around His name or are we okay with that? Does it bother us when we hear His name irreverently spoken of? The disrespect of it? You know, we often talk to someone and if we care about who we love, and it bothers us. And I know there's some maybe even here tonight or some that are new to the Christian life and, and they've, they've been around more language than they have around Christ and their, their walk with God is new. And they're just trying to work through that. The idea is that they're trying. And that's a blessing. 
that they're trying. It's like the guy in Texas who, after getting converted, said that he lost half of his vocabulary. <laughs> At least he was halfway there. But I will say this, what you and I respect, we value. And if you value God's name enough, then you'll respect it enough. And what's sad and what's really hard is to hear Christians using His name in vain. That's the worst. But you know why? Because we see our God as small. When you see your God as small, that's what you do. And God's name is used in vain, then it'll bother you and because it's someone you love, someone you care about. And the more His name means to you, it's because you've spent time with Him. It's because you know Him well. It's because you have sweet relationship with Him. And since God is the greatest being in the universe, then His name is to be the greatest name and most honored. You think about the first petition in the Lord's Prayer, Hallowed be thy name. What if we personalized that and said, hallowed be thy name in my life. His name is to be hallowed to us. In other words, heaven's holiness is to be seen on earth through our life, through your life, through my life. His name rightly regarded in my life even means that it is something taking place in my own life. My own holiness is being greater and stronger in my life because of His name. What if it was so much so that His name is hollowed in such a way that even the eyes around us that watch us see the reflection of His holiness in our lives? See, His name is to never be associated with unholiness, ever. That's why Leviticus and Peter says, Be ye holy, for I am holy. This afternoon, I was watching a football game, and as I was watching the game, the commercial that came on right before the next quarter, it was completely backwards, completely upside down. And for a moment there, it, of course, caught my attention. I thought, well, they'll fix that, or, or maybe that's the way this commercial is supposed to be, to really get, catch your attention. But the commercial continued to be upside down. And I mentioned to my son that was watching football with me, I said, that wasn't right. Something was messed up about that. He said, yeah, somebody didn't do their job. And I wonder how often we as Christians, that's not right. Something's messed up about that. Someone didn't do their job. Because it's not right. It's not in step with the way it's supposed to be. Holiness of God in our lives. What God wants is to be close to Him in such a way that His name is reverenced. That our heart is right in step with what, we, what He says. See, when God's name means more and more and more to us, it's because you're getting more and more closer to God. Don't you want that? I'll remind you that the name of Jesus, just the name of Jesus, Every knee shall bow, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Man, you know what the devil wants? He just wants you to start thinking less of God. That's all. That God is small. He just wants you to start thinking a little less of God, and before you know it, he has you thinking uh, how, how God 
must be less and less in your life, and that's okay and not a big deal. And then before you know it, you're living a godless life, completely. Going on your own, tomorrow never talking to them, just going through the motion. But what I'm saying tonight is, God is not small. Not Himself, but we can make Him small in ourselves. And these are some ways that it can be done, because when God says He is, then may we only have God in our sights. When God says He does, He does. So may our thoughts be of God and how much we need Him. And that it will carry on to the next generations what we put out in front of them right now. We've got to be oh so careful what we choose, and the best choice we can make is Him, the Lord Jesus Christ. And then what God wants, He requests. So if we're truly experiencing God more and more each and every day, more time with Him, you know what? I'm going to think better of His name. And when I see His name, and when I hear His name, and when I say His name, it's going to be reverenced. It's going to be high and lifted up because I'm humble. And I'm of a contrite spirit. That's what it takes. And so to reflect God's holiness in our life, then you know what can be said? Hallowed be thy name in all the earth. Because holiness is being shown in our life. I'm so glad God is not small. And I know you and I desire the same, that God not be small in our lives. But it takes some effort on our part. So much so that even the Ten Commandments, we can look at them a little bit differently and a little bit different way than maybe we normally do. Thou shalt not. Thou shalt not. That sounds like a lot of do's and don'ts. No, it's a reflection of God's holy character. So much so that He has a right to say, no other gods before me. And not any graven image, nothing else put before me. Don't try to make up what you think I look like, who you think I am. No, what He says is enough. Who He is is enough. And He is all we need. And all in all. And His name should be high and lifted up and reverent so much so that we're careful that the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart be acceptable in Thy sight. O Lord, my strength, my Redeemer. Sounds like we're talking about His name already. And may God help us in that way. Would you bow with me? Lord, I pray that this will be a help in some way. I'm thankful that you're not small. May you not be small in our lives. And Lord, I pray that you'll help me, myself, to not be a castaway. And Lord, to be willing to live this. Have a contrite, humble spirit. To be teachable. And Lord, I thank you that you love us enough to give us the Old Testament, New Testament, all of it collectively Lord, to work hand in hand to show us how great a God you are. And Lord, I pray you'll help us tonight in a way of working in our hearts and our minds and our lives. That we might even tomorrow as we go to a new week, Lord, reflect you well. And Lord, have holiness be a part of our life in a big way. So Lord, that you are shown not small, but great and mighty, wonderful counselor, everlasting father, prince of peace. Thank you for being that and more. May we show you well, I pray, in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for watching us online today. If you haven't done so already, please fill out a digital connection card so we know how to better serve you this week. 
For encouragement throughout your week, you can listen to past sermons by searching Open Bible Baptist Church on the Apple Podcast or Google Play Store. If you'd like to give today, you could give online at openbiblenj.org. Thanks again for joining us today. We'll see you on the next broadcast.